There's an exciting three-player competition brewing in the slot in Seattle secondary. Who holds the edge? And who do Rob Rang and I expect to be the one starting at the slot spot in week one against the Broncos? We're going to be diving into that competition on today's latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Hope everybody had a great weekend, and thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're now only a few weeks away from the first report day for the Seahawks in training camp. Got a number of camp battles that we're going to be continuing to dive into in coming episodes. Today, we're going to the secondary Who's got the advantage in a very competitive slot cornerback group? As many as four players could be vying for that starting role when camp opens later this month. Who has the edge? We're going to be breaking that competition down. Plus, continuing our 90-player countdown numbers 35 through 31. This episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on your Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. There's no way to sugarcoat it. It was not a good past few days for former Seahawks. Dwayne Brown and David Moore both being arrested for different crimes. Certainly not good crimes, but were arrested and posted bond for their two incidents. Rob, let's start with the one that's most recent here. The bigger name. Dwayne Brown being arrested at the Los Angeles International Airport on Saturday. Apparently, he was allegedly trying to sneak an unloaded firearm in through security in his luggage. That did not work out well in his favor. Was escorted out in handcuffs, was taken to jail, posted $10,000 bond, and now he's going to have a hearing on a concealed firearm charge on August 3rd. Certainly not a good situation at any point, but when you're an unsigned soon to be 37 year old free agent trying to find a new team. That's another hurdle that he's going to have to overcome to get into a training camp with a team. That's, that's well said Corbin. It is going to be a significant hurdle for Dwayne Brown. Uh, you know, obviously the legal ramifications of uh, you know, his actions here, but uh, you know, what a, He's a, he's a terrific football player, um, and and I, I certainly respect his rights in this country. But it just feels like such a foolish decision to to have that firearm there at the airport. You had to know that you were going to be, uh, you know, it was going to be going through security, that it was going to be located. Um, so it, it's a it's a spooky uh, decision by Dwayne Brown. I, I do having watched the video um of of Dwayne Brown being escorted out I was impressed by how uh, cool and calm that he was um and, and so I think that that's going to help out um in any type of uh you know decision that uh, the the courts or the NFL teams uh, you know possibly uh may have to make in, in the future with him I I do want to kind of circle back rather than just having this uh you know kind of conversation about Dwayne Brown the player 
this is obviously is a Seahawks podcast. And, and I think that while Dwayne Brown was no, was not part of the Seahawks roster, I think that he was somebody that John Schneider and Pete Carroll Corbin were, were, were still very much kind of considering as uh, an insurance plan. Um, you know, should these rookie tackles, Charles Cross and a Lucas, uh, you know, struggle a little bit out of the gate, should there obviously be any type of significant injury that then bringing back Dwayne Brown was very much going to be, I think, part of the, the possible plan. Um, and, and this uh, move right here may have very much shook up Seattle's kind of insurance policy. Yeah, I think it might have slammed the door shut. Not that I thought it was open very wide because Charles Cross is going to be the guy at left tackle. But certainly if Brown did not get another job, he's respected by the organization, the front office, the coaching staff. And if he couldn't get another opportunity, maybe coming back to Seattle to be that mentor that can be an insurance policy. Maybe that would be something he'd be interested in if he still wanted to play. I don't know now that that is a possibility. And like you said, you know, certain states have different rights as far as guns go, but airports, that's a no-go regardless of where you're at. You're not going to be able to sneak a firearm through. And so it just, it's a very out of character decision-making process for Dwayne Brown, having spoken with Brown numerous times in press conferences, one-on-one, not a guy that has had this type of baggage on his resume to begin with. It just, it was a very out of character decision and we'll see what happens. We'll see what other information comes out. All we know right now is just the basics that he was trying to get this unarmed, unloaded firearm through the security and in his luggage. That's never going to fly. You know, I started the first thing that came to my mind thinking about is did somehow this gun, was it not even his? Did it somehow end up in his bag? Could this be a frame job? I mean, we don't know what is going to end up happening. I doubt that's what happened, but you can't rule anything out. And so until we have the hearing on August 3rd and, and we get more details that come out, I mean, it, we might know everything at this point. It might just simply be he was trying to get a gun through a security checkpoint in an airport. And again, that's just an out-of-character decision for him. Now, as for David Moore, the other former Seahawk that was arrested over the past five days, his situation a little bit different was not at the airport, but he was at the drive through of a Taco Bell in his hometown of Gainesville, Texas. There was a phone call to the police about a person sleeping in his vehicle in that drive through That happened to be David Moore in his Ford F-150 pickup. Police came there and ended up searching his vehicle. They found edibles and they found three pistols in his vehicle. Now, I don't know if those were loaded or not. That detail has yet to be revealed uh, based on where I've looked, but he was arrested and posted $5,000 bond. I'm assuming that he is going to have an upcoming court date as well. Could not find that information when I was researching for this episode. But again, David Moore, another very similar situation in a sense to Dwayne Brown, where this is obviously not a good look. He's actually under contract. The Bears signed him in April. You have to wonder if that's going to be the case once all the details come out. Are the Bears going to stick with him? Because he's not a superstar receiver, and you and I both know that talented, player, talented players tend to be the ones that get a little more of a leash. Somebody like David Moore that played for four teams last year probably doesn't have that wiggle room when you make a mistake like this. 
Yeah, that's the thing. It's just another example of poor decision-making by, by former Seahawks here. As you mentioned, Corbin, he is, uh, unlike Dwayne Brown, who is still obviously a free agent, uh, you know, Moore is with the, the Chicago Bears. Um, and this is the kind of decision or decision-making by Moore that, that could lead to decision-making by the Bears to, to let him go. Um, and, and that would be unfortunate because we are talking about a good player. And, you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, the idea of Dwayne Brown's decision not being something that is normal for him. I think the same thing here it would be true with, with David Moore. And it's not that I know either of these players uh, personally, but I, I do not know of any, um, you know, brush-ups with the law or or with anybody else um, during Moore or Brown's time in Seattle. And I think that that's one of the interesting things as well. That kind of goes back to Pete Carroll's days back at, at USC um, and in his previous NFL stops as well, is, is his ability to kind of keep players in the fold, in the family, and, and protect the team kind of a thing. And uh, it is concerning how often that former players, whether it be for Seattle or the NFL or anywhere else in professional sports, that they do run afoul of the law. But I think that it's such an ugly stereotype when people say that, you know, oh, former players get themselves in trouble or whatever the case might be. It's actually a pretty small percentage, especially in comparison to the rest of the, the population in this country. Yeah, you're correct on that. But the problem is you and I both know negative headlines are the ones that are going to generate the most buzz for the most part. That's what the news ends up being. So unfortunately, these mistakes ended up quickly surfacing on the internet. You saw video for Dwayne Brown, nothing like that for David Moore, but it's out there now. And certainly their reputations are going to take a hit from that, especially Dwayne Brown. We'll see what happens again. There may be some other details that surface, particularly for Brown's situation, that maybe change the way we view this a little bit. But it looks like poor decision-making by both men, and, and they're going to be paying the consequences in certain ways. So we'll see what happens as more details come out. And obviously they have their upcoming court dates. I would assume Moore is going to be in the next few weeks probably having a, a court date for his hearing with firearm possession and substance abuse possession in the state of Texas. Coming up next, we're going to get back to football. Our 90-player countdown, we're now in numbers 35 through 31. Got some veteran defensive players returning to the Seahawks after a brief stint with another team. We'll be checking those players out here in a moment. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports podcasts and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's time to continue our 90-player countdown. We're now to numbers 35 through 31. A lot of players that probably are on the positive side of the bubble when we're talking about roster status. Some of these guys are guaranteed to be on the Seahawks roster. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty the established veterans, the players that have played a lot of games for the Seahawks. And we're going to start at number 35, a player that was a standout for the Seahawks in 2017 and 2018. And then Justin Coleman turned 
that performance in those two seasons into a mega contract with the Detroit Lions in free agency. Spent another season with the Miami Dolphins last year in 2021. And here we are three years later, Rob, and Justin Coleman is back in the Seahawks secondary. And we're going to talk about him more later in the show when we get to the slot cornerback battle because that's where he's going to be entrenched once camp starts later this month. He's going to be vying to get back that slot cornerback job that he held in 2017 and 2018. And you look back at those seasons, Rob, Justin Coleman was kind of a revelation for Seattle because he was drafted by the Vikings. Then he was with the Patriots. He was bouncing on and off practice squads. And the Seahawks traded a seventh round pick to the Patriots for him shortly before the start of the 2017 regular season. I don't think anybody expected that he was going to be an impact performer in their secondary. And yet that's exactly what he was. He returned an interception for a touchdown in each of his two seasons with the Seahawks, had a number of interceptions, allowed four touchdowns in coverage. That might seem like a lot, but slot corners get targeted a lot. He was very effective, particularly in man coverage. And I think that's been the staple for him in his career. He has been a very good man cover corner. His zone numbers aren't bad either, but he's more consistently been excellent in man coverage, and he's extremely quick and agile. I think that plays into it. This is a guy that ran in the six sixes uh, with his three-cone time. So he's a guy that can change direction on a dime, and even at this stage of his career, still very quick. And that is key when you're going against these shifty, fast receivers out of the slot. He's had some success against bigger guys as well. He's really a well-rounded slot corner, and so I think that gives him a very good chance to carve out another big role for the Seahawks in his second stint with the team. I couldn't agree with you more, Corbin. Uh, you know, 6.61 seconds in the three-cone drill back uh, at the combine. That led all cornerbacks that year. And as you said, uh, you know, that that athleticism, that that, that change of direction and quickness, um, that translates very well onto the football field. He doesn't have the size and, and physicality that you uh, would prefer on the outside. But in terms of that slot or nickel cornerback spot, yeah, I think that Justin Coleman is going to have, uh, you know, play a big time role for for the Seahawks this year and and arguably could be even higher on this list and Coleman's not the only former Seahawk that has returned for a second stint you go up to the defensive line Quentin Jefferson big number 99 at least that's the number he wore the first time he was with the Seahawks now wearing a different number in his second stint with the team Al Woods currently has 99 and good luck getting that number from the big fella but Quentin Jefferson has had a really interesting career track because you may remember, Rob, early in his career, the Seahawks cut him, and he ended up spending a few weeks on the Rams practice squad in 2017. Then Cliff Averill has the career-ending neck injury. They're struggling with depth. They bring back Jefferson, re-sign him to their active roster off the Rams practice squad, and it seemed like the light switch came on after that point. And the last four seasons – He's had at least 25 quarterback pressures in each of those four seasons, two of them with Seattle, mostly as a starter playing the big end position. And then he spent a year in Buffalo, had a pretty productive year. And then last year, a career high 50 quarterback pressures for the Las Vegas Raiders. He's never been a guy that racks up many sacks. But if you're pressuring the quarterback that often, particularly a player like Jefferson that's in the 295-pound range and plays a lot of snaps reduced inside, 
You're loving it. That's that's outstanding production for an interior defensive lineman harassing the quarterback, and Seattle could use help in that regard anywhere they can find it. I don't know that Jefferson's a starter in his second time with the Seahawks, but I expect that he's going to play an extensive rotational role, particularly inside. If they play some four-man fronts, he can play some of that base defensive end spot as well. Great versatility, great locker room guy who's respected by this coaching staff. Well, and, and you said it, Corbin, I mean, 50 quarterback pressures. I mean, this is the Seahawks squad that, that finished, I believe, it was 26th in the NFL last season in, in quarterback sacks. So, uh, you know, they, they need to provide more pressure on, on the opposing quarterback. And, and Jefferson has shown the ability to do that. And, you know, when you, you first started kind of talking about him and, and, and Al Woods and the, the, the fighting for jersey number 99, I thought back to one of our previous conversations about some of the different competitions that we'd love to see that we couldn't see i'd love to see like an old school kind of liftoff between uh al woods and quentin jefferson i, mean, I, I want to see them you know these two guys you know pulling the semi trucks i, I want to see the bench press competition i want to see an arm wrestle between two the, these two guys battling over that jersey number nine and i think that would be absolutely spectacular Next up on our list, coming in at number 33, a newcomer that has not played for the Seahawks previously. That's Artie Burns, former Miami corner, was a first-round pick for the Pittsburgh Steelers five years ago and had a very up-and-down career in Pittsburgh. Had some bright moments, and then he had some seasons where he really struggled. I believe he gave up eight touchdowns his rookie year. So he's had some up-and-down play, and then he got a torn ACL in 2020, missed the entire season for the Bears. He comes back last year, Robin. This is where there's still some familiarity here. Even though Artie Burns has not played a single snap for the Seahawks, he played for Sean Desai as defensive coordinator in Chicago last year. And the last five games really got extensive reps at the corner position. And that provided a great opportunity for him to really showcase what he could do in a system that catered well to his strengths. A guy with 33-plus-inch arms, very athletic. That gave him a chance to go out and prove what he could do coming off that injury. And he was great the last five games. Maybe his best game came against his current team, the Seattle Seahawks. The Bears ended up winning that game at Lumen Field in the snow. But Artie Burns had two pass breakups, gave up no touchdowns in that game. And it held his own against DK Metcalf on a number of reps. That might have been something that stuck with the Seahawks, but they almost signed Artie Burns a few years ago, so they already had him on the radar, and now he's got a very good chance early on to compete for a starting job in Seattle's secondary. Yeah, I really liked Artie Burns a couple of years ago coming out of Miami. I uh, was not surprised at all to see him go in the first round Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, his NFL career has not panned out to this point as expected. But you talked about the physical traits, uh, the fact that that he did play very, very well down the stretch last year into size defense. Uh, I'm really intrigued by him. To me, he is the wild card of Seattle's cornerback uh, group um, with a tip of the cap to Trey Brown, of course, coming off of the injury. Um, but I really think that Artie Burns has that that skill set that that translates so well, uh, or, or excuse me, projects so well to what Pete Carroll has always wanted. Um, and so again, because of the familiarity and size defense, because of the the the. the cornerback being such a position of concern for the Seahawks. I think that Artie Burns is absolutely somebody Seahawks fans should be very closely paying attention to. Next up on our countdown at number 32, a player that is now 
played two seasons for the Seahawks, and he's shown improvements each step of the way. The Seahawks are going to be hoping for Freddie Swain to take another leap forward in his third season. A sixth-round pick out of Florida in 2020. Sixth-round picks, Rob, a lot of time don't end up making rosters in the NFL, but Swain has exceeded expectations. He's played some on the slot. He's played some on the outside. He's played valuable reps on special teams. When D. Eskridge was down for a good chunk of last year, he was the number three guy. He doubled his numbers across the board, and he had a couple really long touchdowns. He had a 68-yarder on busted coverage against the Tennessee Titans in week two. So we've seen some big play capability. We've seen some after-the-catch ability. We've seen some special teams ability. Really has been a home run pick for a sixth-round selection but he is going to be facing increased competition going into camp. D. Eskridge, they're hoping he's going to be back healthy and stay healthy. Marquise Goodwin is still a very athletic, speedy 32-year-old receiver, brings a lot of experience in a similar scheme, playing for Kyle Shanahan. And they got two seventh-round rookies in Dariq Young and Bo Melton ready to compete. So Swain is going to have to show that he's markedly improved from a year ago just to hang on to his roster spot because of how deep this position is. I think he's on the roster, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's fully guaranteed at this point, just with the additions they've made and the depth at this position. Yeah, I think that's well said. Uh, you know, I, I think that he is on the roster, but at the same time, I think that his stranglehold on that number four receiver spot, or maybe even number three receiver spot, because obviously, as you referred to, D. Eskridge missing so much time last season allowed, uh, you know, allowed Swain to take over that spot uh, last year, and he has done very well. Um, you know, he is a guy that's kind of like the forgotten guy in the receiver position. And, and I don't, I think that's unfortunate because he has been very productive and we have seen steady growth from him um, in just about every way as a route runner in terms of his ability to make people miss after the catch. That was one of the things that really, uh, you know, I was excited about watching his college tape at Florida is that immediate first step kind of acceleration. He was able to kind of get a step on defenders once he had the ball in his hands. And that's one of the things that I'm so excited about with D. Eskridge as well. So whoever is the Seattle starting quarterback, if they're able to get the ball in the hands of these two receivers on the inside with Lockett and Metcalf on the outside, I really think that you are going to be able to see Seattle uh, surprise with, with short passes that, that wind up turning into big gains. And that's exactly where Swain can be very effective. So I'm excited to see what he is going to be able to bring this upcoming season. Wrapping up this latest cluster of players at number 31, his first chance, his first legitimate opportunity to be a starting quarterback since his third season in the NFL way back in 2015 with the New York Jets. Geno Smith going to be competing against Drew Locke to replace Russell Wilson. It's looking more and more likely that those are going to be the two quarterbacks that are going to battle for that starting gig. Now that Baker Mayfield is in Carolina, Jimmy Garoppolo is still in San Francisco you don't necessarily see any big moves happening there. And so that means Geno Smith, again, he's going to get this opportunity that he's been waiting have a decade for, the chance to be a starting quarterback. And he's got some clear advantages going into this competition. He started three games replacing Russell Wilson last year. He knows Shane Waldron's offense. He played well, five touchdown passes, only one interception during his four games that he spelled Russell Wilson. And the one interception wasn't his fault. Tyler Lockett tripped coming out of his break late in the loss to the Rams, the game that Wilson got hurt. 
and the pass ended up getting it intercepted, but it was right on the money if Lockett wouldn't have lost his footing. So he was near perfect, had a couple costly fumbles late in games when he was under pressure, then ended up costing the Seahawks. But overall, I think he exceeded all expectations coming in and spelling Russell Wilson. Now he gets a chance to show, hey, I can play like that for an entire season. If you could get a full season of that type of production from Geno Smith, then he might end up being an above-average starter in 2022. Who knows if you can get that for an entire 17-game season. But that experience, that familiarity, his toughness, the leadership qualities he exhibited a year ago, the reputation that he's got in that locker room. I mean, he's got a strong backing from his teammates. There's a lot working in Geno Smith's favor heading into training camp. As well as the fact that he didn't have that the running game that Seattle had at the end of the season. Yep. Geno Smith never had the advantage of that. And so, sure, I mean, that, that's the thing, is, is that there is an easy way to kind of see Geno Smith coming in and, and just – ascending as the, the the Seattle's starter and and having a great deal of success his production has been re, you know reasonable over his NFL career and his experience speaks for itself I mean and so I think that he is beautifully uh uh fit for um Shane Waldron's offense as well and, and so that that's the thing is that there's a lot of reason to be excited about Geno Smith as Seattle's starting quarterback I just think there's even more reason to be excited about Drew Locke. And so that's why I've gone in the past, uh, gone on the record and said that I think that Drew Locke is going to be Seattle's starter. I think that Geno Smith is among the 40 best quarterbacks on the planet. Uh, you know, I, I just think, I don't know that he necessarily is the guy that is going to be able to lead Seattle to a, uh, you know, a, a divisional title, but I think that he can lead you to a, you know, a mediocre type of, of season. Um, and, and so that's, that's to me is, is the conversation that the Seahawks are going to have to have when it comes to Geno Smith. Is, is he going to be more valuable to them as the starter or more valuable to them on the sideline and being able to kind of whisper in the ear of whoever the other starting quarterback is uh, to, to be able to kind of be the eyes on the field in a similar way that he did at times with Russell Wilson, but hopefully even more so. Coming up next, we're going to examine one of our marquee training camp battles that's soon going to be on tap. We're going to be in Seattle secondary, looking at a three, maybe four-way battle at the slot cornerback position. We'll be breaking it all down coming up here in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models. It's now impossible for your local auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Honda Odyssey fuel pumps, for example, might be $353 from a chain store. They're $216 on Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have reliably low prices for every single customer, and they have everything you could possibly need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even a new steering wheel cover. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Visit rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How'd You Hear About Us box so that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen 
five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Time to get to the slot cornerback battle in Seattle's secondary. A few years back, maybe a decade ago, this might not have seemed like a huge competition to worry about because teams still were not playing a lot of nickel and dime defense. But this is 2022, and most NFL defenses are running 60% of the time, at least five defensive backs in the field, if not more. We're seeing more dime packages in the league today. So the slot cornerback position is incredibly valuable for teams, and you can see that with how the Seahawks have handled their offseason business, Rob. You still got Ugo Amadi. You've got Marquise Blair coming back from his latest knee injury. You re-signed Justin Coleman. They've got John Reed on the roster as well. Rookie Kobe Bryant has gotten some snaps out of the slot during their OTAs and minicamp. So this is an incredibly important position, especially in this defense that Clint Hurt's going to be unveiling that has more nickel and dime looks. You know Sean Desai with his influence on this secondary. He's going to be playing a lot of three safety looks, a lot of five and six defensive back looks. So whoever ends up winning this job is going to be on the field a lot and maybe even a second place or third place finisher is going to have some roles that are carved out on defense with how many defensive backs they're going to be playing this year. Yeah, that's the thing. If you go back to what Desai did in Chicago, Corbin, I mean, that third safety was on the field basically two-thirds of the time. The fourth safety was on the field basically one-fifth of the time. Uh, you know, th th that's remarkable. Now, it, it, we have to make sure that we're kind of comparing apples to apples here. Again, I, I mentioned earlier today that uh, the Seahawks finished 26th in the NFL in sacks. The Bears finished fourth. Um, so we was uh, Desai was operating with a little bit different uh, pass rush. The CX, of course, don't have uh, you know Khalil Mack and uh, you know uh, Robert Quinn uh, as their edge rushers. But at the same time, they do have the athletic linebacker. They do have the questions at the cornerback position, and they do have incredible talent at safety, just the same way that Seattle does as well. So that's kind of where I'm going to start off the conversation with is is I, I think ideally um, Seattle would love to find a way that they could get Marquise Blair right there in the middle for those of you who are watching on YouTube uh you know the that he is the playmaker that we've only seen flashes I've only played in a handful of games uh but at the same time in terms of his length in terms of his physicality in terms of his ability to make game-changing plays as a hitter as an interceptor those long arms tipping passes up for others to to intercept as well I, I think that's really who they would love to have be that type of playmaker and and one final point, you, you kind of mentioned before just the importance of the nickel cornerback position, especially in Seattle's uh, division in the NFC West. I mean, obviously you have the Los Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams and all the complexity that their offense brings, as well as the Arizona Cardinals and even the 49ers. While everybody talks about how much they run the ball with uh, the very versatile Debo Samuel out there, of course, um, then, you know, then, then San Francisco commands a, a lot of nickel and dime coverages as well. So I really think that that Seattle has the, the the talented players as well as the coaching staff that uh, is going to basically make it a requirement, excuse me, a requirement for Seattle to be in nickel coverage at least probably two-thirds of the time uh, next season. Yeah, I think that that's just where the NFL is trending right now. Mm -hmm. The way that offenses operate with the receiving talent that every team seems to have mixing in 11 personnel, a lot of the team is doing empty, all kinds of different schematic changes on offense, shifting towards passing games. 
that really caters to defenses having to play nickel and dime coverage. And you're even seeing some teams that are running bandit like the Seahawks have done with seven defensive backs of field. So you're going to see a number of these guys on the field, regardless of what happens. But the player that gets the most snaps is going to be the one that wins the slot job. And this is truly a battle, Rob, that features contrasting styles and contrasting skill sets. As much as you're going to see at any positional battle in Seattle secondary, we talked about Justin Coleman a little bit during our 90 player countdown last segment. And as I mentioned, what really makes him different is he is such an athletic slot corner in terms of quickness and agility. He is able to keep up with those speedy receivers working out of the slot. And that's critical when you're playing the slot because you have to defend both directions on the outside. You have the sideline to help you. You don't have that when you're playing in the slot. So you have to be very quick. You have to have great change of direction skills. Justin Coleman has those. And that caters well in man coverage. He's also got a nose for the football. He's recorded a number of interceptions over the years. He can force fumbles. He's not the most reliable tackler all the time, but he is aggressive coming up and making plays against the run. He's got the right mindset. So really, he checks off a lot of boxes. He's been a quality zone cover corner when needed. Not a guy that's going to be able to play on the outside for you, most likely. The Dolphins and Lions both tried that, and he had some struggles playing out there. But in the slot, with his quickness, his speed, his ability to keep up with those shifty receivers. That gives him a big advantage. And then Marquise Blair is a totally different style player. Marquise Blair did not run a 6-6-1 three-cone drill, but he's still pretty athletic as a bigger, longer safety slash hybrid slot corner. And he's going to bring the physicality. You know a healthy Marquise Blair is going to come up and smack people. You can blitz him. It, It gives you an opportunity to also match up better against tight ends. Teams that use their tight ends out in the slot a lot Marquise Blair is a player that caters well to that with his physicality and his length, has the athleticism to deal with the most athletic tight ends. And then Ugo Amadi, he doesn't have the change of direction skills that Justin Coleman does, but he's a very good zone cover corner who has had his best success when the Seahawks have been running zone the last couple of years because of his football savvy. This is a guy that can play multiple positions. He understands the coverages to a T. Might not be able to keep up man-to-man with some of the faster, shiftier slot receivers, but in zone coverage, he can make plays on the football. You can send him on the blitz as well with his safety background. He can play in the box. So all three of these guys have different skill sets, different strengths, different weaknesses, and I think that's what makes this such a fascinating competition that's going to be coming up here in late July. Yeah, it does make it a fascinating competition, uh, you know, and I think that's an interesting one, too, that, you know, we, we spent so much time talking about Blair and Coleman um, and then the incumbent starter, Amadi, last, the incumbent starter the last couple of years now, basically, uh, at that position. He's the guy that kind of we leave off to the end, um, you know, and, and that's the thing is that he was beaten in coverage uh, a fair amount th- this past season, but that the reliability as a tackler is an important trait with him, just the reliability in terms of he answers the bell i mean he has been healthy and durable and consistent for seattle um and uh you know regardless of of what role that they've asked him to play whether it be nickel corner whether it be dropping back and more of a traditional safety all the special teams units as well so uh again i i think that seattle 
probably wants Coleman to be the guy in most coverage situations. They want Blair to be the guy when they're talking about guys, you know, face up against receivers who are taller or tight ends and things like that. Uh, but then Amadi, his ability as a tackler, I think also keep makes him very much a contender for this list as well. So again, I, I think this nickel cornerback spot, Corbin, we're going to talk about quarterback. We're going to talk about right tackle. I think nickel cornerback is as intriguing of a positional battle as it's going to be for the Seahawks in 2022 training camp. And I think the other thing about it, we just mentioned all these different skill sets and its strengths and weaknesses. I truly believe that this is a 33-33-33 battle here. I think all three of these players have an equal opportunity to win this starting role. Because when, when you look at their strengths, they all have clear and obvious ones that can benefit this defense. And I just look at the type of defense we're expecting the Seahawks to run this year. More 3-4, more man coverage, more aggressive on the back end. If they're going to be running more man coverage, that does tell me Justin Coleman, as long as yeah. he doesn't take a step back, he is getting to be a little older player. But last year, had a passer rating against him under 70. Didn't give up a touchdown had a couple interceptions. He gets his hands on the football. I still think he's a very good man cover slot corner, even at this stage of his career. I would think that he's got to be the slight favorite if you're looking from a schematic perspective. But you also know that Sean Desai is going to want to get Marquise Blair in the field. I think we're going to see a lot of dime packages with this defense, where you're going to see three safeties in the field. They want Blair Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams playing together. We just haven't gotten to see that much because uh, Blair's been hurt, and then obviously Adams had injuries as well. But they want those three players on the field together, the flexibility that it gives them schematically. Even if Blair does not win the starting slot corner job, I think there's going to be a lot of snaps in the field for him playing as that third safety in Sean Desai's defense. So I think that you're going to see plenty of him. And Ugo Amadi might even be a player that certain opponents – his style being a zone cover specialist, there could be a fit for him in sub packages depending on the opponent. I would just think at this point that Justin Coleman's a slight favorite. I would not rule out either of the other two, particularly because the organization is still very high on the upside of Marquise Blair. The injuries have prevented him from coming close to reaching his potential, showing what he can do, but they still believe going into his final year of his rookie deal that he can be that guy. So I do think this is a very wide open con uh, competition. I would have Justin Coleman out in front but by a very slight margin with his experience and his skill set in this scheme. Marquise Blair and Ugo Amadi are going to be right there. And maybe even John Reed is one other name worth mentioning here who's played a lot of snaps in the slot in his rookie year with the Texans, has played there at the college level as well. Not a name that's going to be mentioned much, and I would say he's probably an outside-looking-in guy right now, but – this could be a four-way competition potentially if he comes into camp and impresses. So again, this is one of those competitions. You better get your popcorn ready because I do think it's going to be a seesaw affair. And in the end, I think Justin Coleman wins it, but it's going to be a very close call, a very tight battle throughout camp. It certainly is. And I'm happy that you mentioned John Reed, obviously another player that, that uh, Seattle acquired in a, in a late trade. Um, and, and Reed does have experience playing both outside and inside, played a little bit more nickel uh, back with the Texans. So I, I do think, however, that those are the three uh, the three favorites and uh, all of them do have a, a chance to be the starter. But I would agree with you. I think that Coleman is the favorite. I think the Blair is the wild card. I, I just really am intrigued by him. Just 20 four years old still 
uh, you know, he does have game breaking kind of potential to him and, and that uh, the ability to, to mix in the safety is something that, again, as we talked about so many times, Sean Desai mixed in so well in Chicago. So really interested to see what that combination of Sean Desai and Marquise Blair might bring to Seattle in 2022. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks. We're available on all major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Also five days a week in video form available for free on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we actually have a series coming up the next couple of days. Rob and I are going to be conducting an Ultimate Seahawks mock draft. That's right. We're going back all nearly 50 years of Seahawks history, and we are going to be selecting our own 24-player rosters. We're going to be doing that over the next two episodes. A little bit of debating here as the two of us try to put together the best all-time Seahawks roster. Really looking forward to it, and we think our listeners are going to love these next couple episodes. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.